0: Welcome to the Trainer.net podcast. Today, we're going to get into an issue that seems to be increasing in regularity, and that's warehouse fires. Just Google warehouse fire in your state or major city, and you'll find plenty of examples. These new and often immense warehouses are going up every day. Many are in rural and suburban communities. The complexity of investigating these fires, often when you need to build a team to assist you, drove us to devote this podcast to fire investigation in warehouses, many that are beginning to use robots as a staple of operations. Just another complexity added to the mix. After this podcast, we hope you'll be better prepared to investigate these fires and build a team to assist you. As we wrap up the podcast, I'm going to let you know about a new resource that you can share with your firefighting peers that might assist them in fighting fires in sprinkler buildings. Now let's move to the warehouse fires. Just look at what happened in the past six months. Piscataway, New Jersey, March 22, 2022. A PepsiCo bottling plant and warehouse is heavily damaged by a fire that appears to have started outside and involved several pressurized gas tanks and stacks of wooden shipping pallets. More than 100 firefighters fought the blaze. The cause is under investigation. In Plainfield, Indiana, on March 16, 2022, a 1.2 million square foot Walmart.com fulfillment center burns to the ground. 1,000 employees safely evacuate. It takes 400 firefighters from 30 agencies, three days to control and fully extinguish the fire. Numerous state and local investigators and the ATF national response team are working to determine the origin and cause. In Lexington County, South Carolina, January 15, 2022, a fire in the early morning hours at an Amazon distribution facility caused smoke and water damage. Disaster was averted by early activation of the automatic sprinkler system, which controlled and extinguished the fire. A conveyor assembly was involved. In Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, December 18, 2021, a massive fire destroyed the 1.5 million square foot QVC distribution center, killing one employee. More than 2,000 people were employed there. 284 were working there when the fire broke out. It was the largest structure fire in North Carolina history. Crews battled the fire for more than 10 days, involving 74 departments across 20 counties, plus state and federal agencies. The cause is under investigation by the Sheriff's Office, North Carolina SBI, North Carolina Office of the State Fire Marshal, and the ATF. QVC will not rebuild this facility. These are only a few of the dozens and dozens of warehouse fires that have occurred across the United States, and remember, this is only in the past six months. These fires are typically thought of as low probability, and too often that is equated to low priority for prevention measures like pre-incident planning. Today, we're going to look at the aspects of investigating these fires, including common fire causes, how to be better prepared for this type of incident scene, and lessons learned for how to improve response to warehouse properties. With us to talk about this is Andrew Bennett, the Assistant Technical Director for Fire and Explosion at Invista Forensics. Mr. Bennett is a IWI CFI and holds several other certifications. He has more than 20 years of experience conducting over 1,600 fire and explosion investigations globally in both the public and private sectors, Mr. Bennett's experience encompasses large and complex loss management and investigations, including warehousing facilities, explosions involving natural gas and propane, chemical manufacturing and storage plants, marijuana growth facilities, multi-residential complexes, furniture manufacturing plants, large retail centers, and multiple fatality incidents. That's quite a resume. Mr. Bennett, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you very much. I appreciate it.
0: so. I'm going to jump right in on first how big a problem are warehouse fires? We always hear they're low probability events, but with several pretty high profile incidents recently, maybe they're a little bit more common than we think.
1: They are. They're they're a lot more common. I mean, normally what we see on on the news um or or maybe even through email alerts, there those are the the big fires. Those are the multi-alarm fires, but you know, every day there's there's even small fires that occur uh, inside of warehouses and uh, this type of facilities that that either are quickly put out or or just don't make the news. But it's a very very common problem. So, what's the risk here? So there, it kind of varies. Um, there, you have to think about that the, these warehouses, uh, the the location. Uh, they might be a distribution center. Um, and as far as being a distribution center, the type of hazards that could be in it. I mean, uh, you know, the one of the biggest uh, recent ones was had to do with the Walmart distribution fire in Indiana. And you think about what was inside that that facility, everything. I mean, you name it from hair dryers to uh, plastic tubs to batteries. And uh, you have to look at the. The, the storage classifications, the what was stored in there, how they were stored, and also how the fire suppression systems are uh, equipped, and you know there's there's a whole uh, gamut of things that that run together whenever you you look at these warehouses. I mean, in, in Los Angeles alone, uh, you can have everything from uh, like I said batteries, and couches to textiles and bolt fabrics uh, within the the facility itself, along with hazardous materials.
0: So, a lot of variabilities uh, going into one of these investigations. Can you tell me, when you've been involved in these investigations, what was the organizational framework for these large warehouse investigations? Uh,
1: So, generally uh, if you have if you're the investigator for the property if you are the public investigator for that jurisdiction um, the first thing you want to do is uh, speak with the uh, people that were on site the 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 workers or the uh, property owners to find out what was inside uh, also how the fire suppression system was set up if it activated uh, and uh, progress from there into uh, do we need to notify any specific parties that might be involved that are not present uh, as part of the investigation? Uh, on the on the public investigator side, uh, do we need to call in uh, additional help, such as ATF's National Response Team um, or uh, Chemical Safety Board? Are there any sort of uh, specialized? federal groups or even state agencies that, that could be brought in uh, with their expertise into this. Uh, also with the safety aspect, um, you know, after a fire, the building isn't always stable. So uh, from a local jurisdiction of, of having, a, if possible, a structural engineer look and make sure that the building's safe for the investigation itself, uh, or if that's not available, um, the, if, if the, there's an insurance carrier, on the structure, um, utilizing those resources uh, as, as soon as it's found out to to try to help bring in some expertise uh, to you know look at the the safety aspect of it, but also uh, you know particular hazard classifications if uh, there's any sort of dangers that are unknown.
0: Yeah, so you're you're coming into this with a whole number of players, and I'm wondering. Uh, I know it's different all the time, but when you, when you walk into these, how do you find out who's in charge? How do you find out everyone's roles?
1: That's a great question. So um, from, from a general investigator uh, first arriving at the scene, um, normally if, if there is you know a, a warehouse that is in operation at that time, uh, you're going to talk to whoever the, the manager is um, or whoever the shift supervisor is and escalate from there uh, to you know, whoever the property owner is um, or the actual uh, owner of the business. Uh, a lot of it's just asking questions initially when you get there, you have to remember also, and this is, this is huge, of with these incidents, people evacuate the building. And once they evacuate the building, uh, responding firefighters, their priority is to, you know, make sure everybody's out and then start working on putting the fire out and keeping everybody back. Um, as far as the investigator uh, can get complex in trying to track people down at that point uh, if they haven't been found. And that's where public fire investigators rely heavily on law enforcement um, to start talking to people, to start getting information before they start disappearing. And when I say disappearing, it's nothing uh, as far as malicious
0: let's go through sort of a laundry list for the initial personnel who were on the scene, like the fire and law enforcement. What are the best practices during the response?
1: Okay, um, so initially, uh, let's say for the fire department, um, when they get dispatched, is uh, to think about, have you, done, have you completed any pre-plans? for that structure? Do you know what's gonna be inside? Do you know what hazards are inside? Do you know you know, the, the fire department connections which is, is normally a given, um, but have you walked around inside that facility or has your crew walked around inside that facility yet? Um, and then pulling up that information if you have it uh, within the truck on response and then telling your personnel, uh, okay, this is what we have, but also, just as important of do we know the business was in, is in operation at that time that you can start your evacuations or do we need to look at this as more of a, a, a defensive attack because there's nobody inside and we want to keep our personnel safe um and upon arriving is is the first observations are critical or huge to an investigation because uh, many times your your fire investigators if they aren't dispatched at the same time they're showing up you know, maybe an hour, maybe even more uh, time later, and they what they're seeing is a 172,000 square foot structure completely on the ground. When the first-in crews what they saw was a fire through the roof at the back, you know, BC corner of the structure. Uh, that's that's very important. Also, whether the um, electricity was connected still, was there lights on inside the structure? If they could see anything. Um, and as I mentioned before, are there anybody or are there any employees that are on scene that can be, you know, basically told, hey, stand by in this area? Uh, we're going to need to get some information, but the fire crews go inside. Uh, we also need the fire crews to understand try before you pry because we need to know were windows broken beforehand? Was it possibly due to fire and ventilation? Were doors broken? Uh, Uh, Broken into before fire department arrival, or is this fire department damage? Um, All of the fire department's first responder observations are massively important to an investigation because they're the eyes and ears uh, for everybody um, across the board, whether it's public investigators or private investigators. For law enforcement, um, you know, there are a lot of, you know, for the most part is going to be securing the, the site, uh, making sure people are evacuated or helping with evacuation, but also with that is making their observations. Um, what do they see if it's a certain time of night and the building isn't occupied? Do they see somebody who just kind of stands out and talking to them, uh, getting their information or employees, um, those that were at the property, just getting their basic name, address, and phone number can be huge and and what they saw. Uh, Because again, they are first on scene as well. And sometimes they're first before the the engines are there. So if they've got in-car cameras, turning the camera, just doing that alone, turning the the camera inside their car to where it faces the structure to be able to see the fire progression or what they saw when they first got there um, can be massive to shortening the, the duration of the investigation.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. I so now I'm thinking you're you're there. Um, law enforcement has secured the scene, hopefully, uh, and you're you know doing your 360 and getting ready to to go a little bit deeper. How, what goes through your mind about resources? What 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 are you thinking about what calls you might have to make?
1: You know, as we as we mentioned, these the the warehouses uh, can vary not only in size but also what is inside. So, you know, many times uh, jurisdictions automatically have hazmat respond and uh, to have them check on either air quality or, or if there's any sort of particular chemicals inside that can be dangerous. And then, uh, you know, the investigator, as, as you mentioned, they're, they're doing their 360 is to uh, think about their uh, personal protective equipment, you know, make sure they've got the proper gear on. Uh, whether they need an air pack to walk around the structure or, or just a, a half face, two-cartridge APR. Um, and and start making your observations. Uh, first and foremost is safety, any lines on the ground, any sort of possibility of collapse. Um, but also with that is uh, what are some of the first observations for whether it's fire patterns or... Um, damage to doors and windows, whether it's fire department related uh, for suppression or whether it was uh, something prior to the fire itself. Um, And also outside, you know, not getting just tunnel vision just on the structure, but sometimes these warehouses, uh, they're in rural locations. So also looking away from the structure, maybe into a field to see if there's any items out there that are not, shouldn't be there. Maybe something was being stolen at the time and, or this is a, a, a cover-up of a crime um, or maybe that there was some sort of work that was being done uh, and those are the parts that were supposed to go into the structure. Um, it's, it's not just on these 360s, just looking at the structure, but looking literally at a 360 around you as you're, as you're walking around.
0: You also mentioned on the prep for this podcast about gathering documents.
1: Right. Um, with that, and also that goes with the, the 360, is within these structures, uh, some are required to have sprinkler systems, some are not. Um, looking at if it does have a sprinkler system, gathering um The information of when they were last inspected, who inspected them, were there any problems, are there any logs? Uh, The other is a video surveillance system. Um, If there is any sort of uh, cloud system where uh, the video can be retrieved, that can possibly give some information about what was happening prior to the fire. Uh, Any issues with employees that was documented, such as being discharged or incidents that have happened. goes back to also um, fire inspections of any sort of inspection reports, are integral time cards uh, for employees. Um, you can see who went in, who went out of certain doors if they have the HID uh, logging cards. Uh, with the fire alarm logs, if it did activate, what time it activated. Uh, more importantly, did the monitoring company uh, call and notify the fire department in a timely manner, or even at all, uh, there might have been, I've had instances before where uh, the fire alarm had went off a few times before the fire and had never been, uh, the information never been transferred to the fire department for dispatch, uh, which is obviously there was a problem before and, and it just never got uh, pushed through. Uh, And then also the security alarms, you know, did they go off? Does it make sense? Was it, you know, due to the the fire progression or was there somebody in there before?
0: What about other technology that you might use uh, during the early investigation?
1: Now, all of us have uh, SLR cameras or even point and shoot cameras uh, to to get the initial documentation, but they're is additional technology now, such as these 3D or LiDAR cameras that can go in and make a uh, 3D model, virtual model of the structure. The way these cameras work are they're on a tripod. It look like a small box on top. And uh, it's usually connected by an iPad. And you you go inside the structure. You push a button. The camera head spins. And it puts together several scans to actually create a 3D structure. and it uh, with that documentation, you can actually walk back through that same structure five years later. Virtually, you can take a jury through it. You can walk witnesses through it. Um, it's it's an amazing type of technology that we we have uh, access to, um, you know, as, as public uh, investigators or even private investigators. But uh, that's also where for these cameras. You might have a jurisdiction, a public jurisdiction that doesn't have the funding for that. And that's where it goes back to building these relationships with your private investigators in your area of we need assistance on this. We know, you know, you're probably going to be brought in on the carrier. You already are. Um, Can we can we get the the 3D camera brought in? Um, The other is drones. Uh, It's been a huge thing. You know, for the longest time, the best way to get an overhead uh, shot of a structure was by a ladder truck, um, worst case scenario helicopter, but now uh, there's the drone technology out there that's used both during fire suppression efforts, which is fantastic because of safety, but also uh, if drones are put in the air early by the, uh, the public agency fire department, uh, they can get the first in uh, or first photographs of where the fire is, uh, some overalls of fire progression, uh, but even afterwards, uh, some great overall photographs of areas that might be structurally unstable. Uh, it's just the the technology that's that's around nowadays is is just amazing to be able to document the scenes uh, unlike where we were limited before with just basically a ladder and a camera.
0: Yeah, I, I I'm also thinking that People's phones and uh, news agencies may be a place where you could be getting footage. H- how does that go? And uh, tell me that's that. a, Yeah, that's a great, great
1: uh, thing to bring up. YouTube is a uh, is a huge platform now, and then there's there's others uh, out there. Uh, but to 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 understand how to search um, for that effectively, uh, there's also uh, different apps. Um, was a citizen is one i can think of off the top of my head uh where if you know the general area um sometimes you can search for it uh where people have taken their own personal like you said personal cell phone videos um that's been huge as well because they're taking the videos before even the fire department gets there um sometimes we've had it where vandalisms have occurred and We've had the actual people setting the fires. You couldn't see their faces, but you could hear their voices on there of of you know saying different things or 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 making fun of of something. And you see the fire in the background. Um, Riots. uh, That was uh, fires with the riots in Portland. Uh, That's how they caught a lot of people. Uh, was with this uh, these other platforms and people taking videos with their their cell phones. Also, with that, if if you're able to find out who they are um, and their witnesses, that's that's another great lead to go in to try to you know speak with them to what exactly they saw, why they were there. Uh, sometimes more importantly, and uh, a, a lot of follow-ups can be made from from that because everybody has a cell phone and everybody seems to either take pictures or videos of, of some of these incidents if they're right next to it.
0: Yeah, it's uh, I, I'm also wondering about news organizations. Um, we often have trouble getting news footage of warehouse fires because they're, you know, there's this ownership and branding tied to it. How about you? Have you have you reached out to, let's say, a station that you knew was flying a helicopter during the fire?
1: that's a great, it's a great question. Um, The news agency will say, come up to the fire investigators or the fire department and say, hey, we got there early. We've got pictures of the crowd. We, you know, we hear that this is possibly going to be intentionally set and they'll share the information because they want uh, the right information to be out there and they want to be able to report the right information, but they also want to, you know, be involved in it. Um, Sometimes, you know, that's just, if nothing else, getting their name out there that, XYZ department received the footage from, you know, this news agency, and just throwing that out there, uh, sometimes that makes them just as happy <laughs> as anything else. Uh,
0: yeah, never whatever went... it takes, right? <laughs> to exactly get, to get them involved. Um, you touched on sprinklers, but and and I'll I'll tell you, we do some other work related with sprinklers with some other folks. But can you speak more to the sprinkler system uh, from a investigator's point of view. You, you, you did touch on it a bit, but.
1: Right, so, you know, first first off, as far as an investigator working a fire scene um, like this, uh, sometimes it's just the magnitude itself of step-by-step, step, uh, what do I need to secure? What do I need to look at? And, and one of the key components is if it does have a sprinkler system, how is it connected? Um, and just as importantly, how did the fire department first connect to it? Uh, if it need be, bring the fire department, uh, whoever the, the, if you have access to that uh, shift, have them bring that truck and bring that crew out there and walk through what did they connect to. Um, many of us have probably seen the, the fire department connections, the FDCs on the outside of these structures where the left two go to the structure and the right two go to the parking deck. And if there was any sort of delay uh, in getting water to a standpipe or getting water to the system or there was an issue um, it's important to know which how did they connect and in uh, the order in which they connected to then working to the inside of what kind of system is it how old is the system when was it last inspected is it proper um, you know it, with inspections sometimes whether it gets missed Um, or you've got some businesses that move in and they don't report that they're changing their hazard classification. Um, Or then if that changes the hazard classification, that changes the type of sprinklers that should be in it. Um, And just as important, having somebody with you who, who understands what they're looking for. You can do the initial documentation, the initial photographs and how it's set up, but having somebody to analyze that system is normally a fire protection engineer. And that's where we were talking about of, of early on assessing what additional resources you need. You know, fire protection engineers, there are some in public agencies and there's several in private firms uh, being able to know who to call and, and when to call.
0: So how often, I mean, well, let me put it this way. I've heard that a lot of times some of these fires get out of control because the fire department walks in and shuts off the sprinkler system. Have you encountered that?
1: I've encountered it one time before. Um, and th- th- the reasoning behind that, that they shut it off was they there was two uh, post indicating valves um, and they basically by accident shut off the wrong one because they thought uh, one controlled one side of the building, one controlled the other side of the building. They, they chose incorrectly. Uh, most of the time, the fire departments will leave it running but many times uh, the the fire sprinkler especially in, in like what what we've talked about of these mega warehouse fires the the fire sprinklers are already overrun um, at that point they they're they're operating but whether they're turned on or off it doesn't make a difference um, there there's a lot of factors into that i personally haven't seen many fire departments that that turn it off or have it within their protocol to turn it off but um i I know of several instances where it's happened and uh truly there there wasn't a a a valid reason to do it uh because uh it 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 wasn't harming anything
0: yeah it's it's sad it's but but you know like these things are complex so and uh We talk a lot about pre-planning on our other networks, so uh, I'll bring that up later. Uh, What else? Talk about some of the other complexities in investigating warehouse fires beyond your standard single-family dwelling.
1: Sure. Let's talk about cold storage. You know, as far as a warehouse for cold storage, many of us think, okay, it's basically a big freezer. But within that, you can have different tenants within there. So XYZ company has this. Uh, freezer area, you know, ElementoQ company has this other freezer area, and and no different than like an apartment complex, they rent out those spaces for their product, but it's in within a a very large 200,000 square foot structure, so whenever these fires occur, uh, you have multiple parties involved in this investigation because. They have, you know, XYZ company has their carrier, this other person has their carrier. And of course, everybody wants to have an investigation done and know know what's been found uh, as far as the cause of the fire, if there's any sort of subrogation that can be taken out of it. Uh, The other is, you know, just with a textile warehouse, uh, you know, the same thing, even if you have just a straight business owner who has all of his product inside, the product inside bolts of fabric may be insured by a different company because the, the structural carrier didn't cover the actual contents itself or they might have multiple contents com- contents inside um, or coverage, sorry. The other is uh, exposures. If there's other buildings around such as, uh, I'm near Los Angeles, um, you have a warehouse that catches fire unless it's <laughs> very well contained, it's gonna affect the other surrounding structures. So they're going to have an interest in what happened because they have claims on their properties. Um, what public agencies need to remember is it doesn't always just go away once they're finished with the investigation. They may go in there and get a video and it shows you know, a, a light fixture too close to combustibles and, and it catches fire. That can be integral to the public agency because that can take a... An, a the private investigators multiple multiple joint scene exams down to one instead of having six months of exams holding the property not being able to let anybody else in not doing any restoration not doing any additional work and it compounds from there uh generally with these with warehouse fires it's not just a one and done as far as the owner there's usually multiple people involved in this and that's not even counting uh You know, whoever the company is that has that's in the area of origin that has, you know, their product there, whether it's a a light fixture, whether it's a contractor that did some work in there, or it's the actual, you know, lithium ion batteries that uh, uh, caught fire, and that company can be held liable for it. Um, there's there's that complexity there is it can just be huge to the point that you're you're listing everything on a spreadsheet trying to keep everybody straight and and everybody coming out to the scene itself on a particular day can be a kind of a, a circus in itself to to make sure everybody's on the same page
0: okay i i'm i'm thinking about a couple other things you've spoken briefly about safety overall and i don't think we need to go through that over that's We've got modules on that. Um, you touched on hazmat, the fact that, well, in a way, the fact that there's a lot of materials in these places, sometimes you don't even know what they are. Or in the Amazon situation, you could have everything from cotton to <laughs> some kind of chemical uh, chemicals that are going on. Um, anything else you wanted to say about that?
1: Yeah, um, as far as the hazmat? Sure. With hazardous materials on... on- some of these scenes, uh, we understand that public agencies uh, either want to monitor uh, for air air quality. Um, if you've got, uh, such as a manufacturing facility that also has a warehouse attached, and they process chickens, or they process uh, some other animal product, um, that's a, a, a sometimes a, a forgotten hazardous material. And huh. so when the, when the warehouse gets shut down along with the manufacturing facility, then now you have a biological hazardous materials. And I've had uh, scenes where EPA has had to come out for days and also the CDC uh, to monitor for, um, you know, whether it's toxins or airborne uh, uh, particulates that they don't want to get outside the structure you have to think about the hazardous materials in these structures, not just uh, your standard hazmat uh, products that your hazardous materials teams respond to maybe day to day, but also where there's a manufacturing process and a warehouse that are connected such as for poultry or for other meat products. And whenever the building gets shut down or is fire damaged, then I've had scenes where the EPA and the CDC have been out at the scene to do air monitoring and also particulate uh, monitoring regarding the the toxins of the meat product um, to where everybody out out there had to be in either level B or level A suits. Uh, And also the hazardous materials aspect of the anhydrous ammonia that's being used as a refrigerant. Um, That's that's another uh, complexity within there. Uh, as far as mitigating to get people into the scene just to start the examination that is, you know, integral for, for the safety aspect.
0: Yeah. It makes me think about one other thing and all, everything you just mentioned makes this topic sound even harder, which is spoiliation. Uh, could you talk about yeah. how you avoid spoliation and, and, and
1: absolutely. So when we talked about, uh, before of securing the scene, that's first and foremost, uh, it's not just for safety, uh, but it's also for, for the safety of the investigation, whether it's criminal or whether it's going to be civil. And many times, uh, for public agencies, their first and foremost thought is, is this a criminal act? If it's not a criminal act and it's accidental, um, then, you know, the, everything kind of gets stepped down a little bit, but for the private agency side or your insurance carrier side um, or the other interested parties uh, for manufacturers that might be involved in this that's where it actually steps up uh, so it's kind of reversed <laughs> and seeing security is the first and foremost because we want to make sure that nothing's being removed and nothing's being changed or altered without necessity now of course you know uh, uh, overhaul is is necessary but if fencing can be put up to secure the scene, if security can be up there or coordinated with the insurance carrier uh, to secure the scene, that's great. Um, and also public agency investigators, fire marshals, they they have the ability to to hold the scene. Uh, and I've, I've worked with them before to where, as I mentioned uh, previously, we can work together uh, without uh, overly sharing information that might, again, uh, show that uh, there, was, there was too much working and uh, working side-by-side on, on a fire investigation that might have you know, be seen as skewing somebody's uh, final uh, origin and cause. But okay. within there, the, the fire marshals can bring in the public agency, let them take photographs, Get information before items are moved or bulldozed or torn down. Um, also within there is the, you know, again sharing photographs, sharing you know early information, uh, letting people go in um, if if whether it's on the private or public side with the 3D uh, scanning cameras or lidar cameras to initially um, capture the scene. Uh, I've actually got one that's ongoing at a manufacturing. Slash warehouse facility where we we did do a 3d scan of it and actually the fire department is still holding the scene and we are going in at different uh sections of their investigation to do our documentation uh, so it doesn't overly spoilate um, uh, as far as what's left or or the actual physical evidence and within there we have to consider are all the parties that are going to be involved in it put on notice or notified and are at the scene whenever this occurs.
0: A lot to pay attention to, huh?
1: A lot, a whole lot. It's, a, <laughs> it's, it's huge. And then also, you know, that's, that's sometimes where on the public investigation side, it's either forgotten, um, which I totally understand. I totally, I totally get that because I remember being on a scene of a house fire and thinking, okay, it's a garage fire. It's this, this, and this, and, and that's it. And that's where my day ended as far as my investigation um, but then i would be contacted by, by the insurance community and their day was just beginning for it. Right. And then it was going on for, for months or sometimes these go on for years and public fire investigators will sometimes forget that it might be five years later and they're getting pulled into a deposition, uh, cause they want to know, as we mentioned, they were the first in, they first saw everything, uh, and they're gonna give their testimony five years later on, on what they saw. And, and uh, hopefully they have great notes and great documentation.
0: <laughs> yeah, I bet. So thanks for all, all that. I mean, that's a, what you just went through is a mouthful. Um, and and I'm, I'm thinking now going back to you and you're in your vehicle and you're pulling up on a fire like QVC in North Carolina or Walmart in Indiana where do you start
1: so pulling up at okay so is this from a overall investigation side
0: yeah as an investigator in your position
1: okay so from an investigator first pulling up on a scene is uh take a second um because there's going to be a lot going on (laughs) take a breath and and start taking notes uh, taking photographs um, as you're walking up to the scene unless you're pulling up right next to the command post generally uh, as, as what you mentioned you're literally pulling up and parking and sometimes you're parking quite a ways away and so from there start taking photographs start taking notes of uh, where either trucks are positioned or where the fire is at that point what the condition of the structure is if you hear anybody saying anything on on comments as you're walking either through a crowd, um, and go to at that point go to the command post uh, first and foremost to check in, and also find out um, if they know has anybody you know been pulled to the side to uh, to speak with. Uh, do they know where the owner is? Do they know where the plant manager is or the warehouse manager is? Because sometimes they'll be there at the command post itself, and start methodically working through gathering information because you're not going inside. You know, obviously the, the, the fire is still ongoing. It's still a, a dangerous environment. So at that point, you're, you're literally working on getting information together of doing these initial interviews, telling law enforcement, Hey, we need to find this person or that person over there. Can you get their information? Um, find out if, if they saw anything and, and get that initial uh, interviews and scene documentation completed.
0: Sounds like good advice. I have heard a lot of different fire investigators over the years saying, you know, before you even get out of your vehicle, just stop, take a breath, (laughs) think about what it is you got to go do because going through those initial steps that you discussed, I think probably gets you into the flow, um, and makes it it a lot easier.
1: It absolutely does. It, It can be very overwhelming. Um, no matter how many fires you've been to, no matter, uh, how big the fires you have been to, uh, you just have to remember, um, you're, as a fire investigator, you're there to investigate the fire. You know, at, at one point, you might have been the one on the truck pulling the lines and, and and doing all of all the work that you see in front of you. But your job right there, your role is to help figure out what happened. And, and, and remember that, it's not just figure out what happened so uh, the you know the business can can rebuild and, and move on, but it's also uh, part of after-action reports. It's, it also helps your department understand uh, this is what happened, and then it plays into the fire progression itself and the fire
0: dynamics, which the firefighters need to know about. Makes a lot of sense. Um, looking for some well solutions i don't know about solutions uh causes let's say you know as you look up across all the different warehouse fire investigations you've been involved in or studied what are some of the common fire causes that you find
1: so some of the some of the overall most common are um electrical and lighting uh incendiary uh or exposures and uh or smoking and and let's just talk about a few of them so with electrical it can be that the the system is not up to date not up to code or the maintenance is done in-house i've seen them before where wires have been twisted together for lighting and instead of using electrical tape or wire nuts they've used um, just clear packing tape or whatever was close by Um, i've seen them use extension cords and cut the ends off to use it as just you know wire extensions um, I've also seen where they don't have plugs, and, uh, and I'm sorry, the, the actual prongs on plugs for for lights, and they very, I guess, um, bravely stuck the ends of the wires into the receptacle, yeah. uh, oh. as kind of as, as crazy <laughs> as that is. Um, it's there, there's the electrical system. You never know. Uh, there's there can be problems that have been ongoing that the, even the owner doesn't know about because it's above drop ceiling. Um, it could be things that they didn't want to have to pay a lot of money, so they got their in-house worker or one of the workers to do it. Uh, the other is, as I mentioned, lighting. It's dark, and temporary lighting is sometimes used because, again, cost. You know, that's one thing that that also needs to be remembered is inside these structures, there's sometimes a very thin margin for for what money that they're making for the product that they're storing, and, and or even if it's a distribution center, and they're trying to save money wherever they can. And so, if it's a dark area, I've seen where they've used um, just floor lamps uh, just along uh, racks to to light the way, or they've used uh, they put lighting in, in uh, areas where there's not a whole lot of ventilation or they're trying to put as much product inside. And so the product is right against the light bulb or the light fixture itself at the rooftop, um, which does a few things. It'll ignite the product or smolder it till ignition, but also uh, the sprinkler system might be blocked or is not rated for something like that. then you've got the the incendiary, uh, the intentionally set, whether it's disgruntled employees, somebody wants to go home early, um, a concealment of a crime, vandalisms, uh, and uh, exposure fires um, is also a, a common one in metropolitan areas. As homelessness is on the rise, uh, we have, especially in, in some of these large metropolitan areas, uh, tents that are put up against structures. And mm. if somebody homeless related gets mad at another homeless individual and sets their tent on fire or if there's something careless going on and their tent catches on fire or their their home uh, then it can spread to the, the structure itself and and uh, progress to the interior as well um, I've also had uh, this is not as common but automatic retrieval system so in Amazon you um, is, is just an example of, of an automatic retrieval system where a product is in a certain rack and the worker is programming in what needs to be taken down from what rack. And you've got these automatic arm systems that, that go along these tracks. Um, there was one in Europe that actually caught fire uh, and, and, and created small spot fires along its track as it moved along. Uh, inside of a warehouse um, that's not as common but you know it's a technology that's in there that that uh, that can cause a fire and then of course going back to employees smoking um, you got large warehouses they may have smoking areas but they're not as convenient or there's a short break time for them to smoke so instead of going all the way out they go to a far corner of the facility to have their smoke break and uh, forget to put a cigarette out or it falls in between boxes.
0: So, yeah, I'm thinking about, well, I I know a little bit about some of these things with uh, the top loading or automated facilities, as you've mentioned. Um, Do you think about any additional equipment that you might need to have if you're involved in a fire like that?
1: So uh, no different than maybe with a a fire alarm system. Many of these have a control panel that you can download the information from. And so I carry with me a a small USB thumb drive. It's about 256 gigs. Uh, So it's it's enough room that uh, I can carry it in my pocket and it has enough space that if if I'm walking through one of these structures, or or the IT room with uh, with their team, uh, that they can say, yeah, we can download the information for for this system. And, and a lot of these, as you mentioned, the the automatic retrieval systems, um, they either go up to a cloud-based system or to an actual server type room or or a hard drive room, and the information is collected there. Uh, so you can see where. The maybe the the item what or the the arm exactly was at that time, what the positions were, almost uh, like a black box within a vehicle. Um, there's each system's a little bit different. Um, just like fire alarm systems, uh, they're all just a little bit different than themselves.
0: But it sounds like a good hint. You know, it, carrying around. At-
1: Absolutely, it is. Yeah, that's it's saved, saved me a lot of walking. <laughs> uh, whenever it's, it seems like it's always in the, the wrong place at the wrong time, when was, <laughs> you know somebody turns around and says, Hey, do you have a way Do you have a thumb drive with you? Do you have something to, to, uh, we can download the information right now. And that's exactly when you want it right then, right there, not have to come back or try to track them down days later. You know, always, always keep nowadays with technology, everything seems to be able to be plugged in with a thumb drive to download.
0: Do you have a, uh, a case study or, or one specific fire that you've been to where you feel a, there was a lot to be learned or where you learned a lot?
1: Yeah, there, there is one that went really well. Um, there was a manufacturing facility where uh, the fire department uh, was initially told that there was an explosion on the property uh, and that the upon speaking with the workers um, that, there was conflicting statements, whether it was a whoosh sound or it was actually a just a, a fire itself. Uh, but nobody ever mentioned an explosion. And as we discussed, when the first in firefighters arrived, uh, a lot of them had, um, the engineers had their cameras out or had cameras on their helmets. So we had a lot of good information of at least where the fire was located. We had no information initially from the video showing that there was any walls pushed out, any doors blown out, any sort of real true explosion at that point. Uh, And upon further investigation, uh, found that there was multiple uh, parties that were going to be involved in this, those that had worked on, uh, you know, uh, different conveyor belts and boilers and uh, other items within pieces of equipment within that area. So we, once we had all of them in place, the fire departments, the fire marshal still held the scene itself and uh, again, shared information, but also allowed us to, to work quasi in tandem uh, that we could have subject matter experts go in and look and, and determine, no, there was not an explosion. Um, there was actually a, a leak from a pipe uh, where a flammable liquid uh, that was used as a um, heating oil um, sprayed and caught fire. Uh, that's that's one, you know, uh, one of my best examples of how public agencies and private agencies uh, can can work together to find out uh, and and disperse uh, any sort of uh, wrong information. The news agencies had reported that there was a massive multiple explosions at the property. Um, and, and, you know, as, as we had talked about earlier in this of getting information from news agencies is important, but also using the totality of all the information that you gather is just as, as important in itself. Um, I have a, Another example, and this was an international loss, this was actually in Mexico, um, and there was some issues, not only with translation, uh, but also with the fact that their um, their warehouses uh, are varied, you know, just as much as the U.S., but their electrical system obviously is is very different than anywhere in the U.S. as well. Uh, their electrical code is is different. Um, so going into that, uh, getting the initial information and talking with the, the first workers that first saw the fire was integrally important because we went from looking at 200,000 square feet to basically 800 square feet and reconstructing that area with the help of the workers uh, and translators to find out where exactly the fire was first seen in that corner and then finding uh a a basically a a pinched wire where you could see electrical activity and that there was paper products and once video was later pulled uh confirmed that there was you know basically a smoldering fire uh in that area that that progressed
0: yeah wow it's uh well, it must've been nice, first of all, to get it down to a smaller area and then uh, being able to get somebody to translate for you, I'm sure was very helpful. Uh, what lessons have you learned that you wanna share from all these different warehouse fires? What what could we be doing better? Uh,
1: so for for fire departments is uh, pre-planned. It's, it's very important. Um, and that's never changed over the years, no matter how technology has changed of getting in the, the truck and uh, you know going to different facilities within your district or within your zone uh, that you're in and understanding what's there and what the products are, or at least driving around the building and, and familiarizing yourself with where the FDCs are and what kind of uh, fire suppression systems or, or what kind of uh, products are inside. Um, Pre plans are huge. Um, w- it's understood that uh, many departments have uh, different type of funding. That some can have very elaborate systems even within their their vehicle, and others uh, do not. Where it's something that they have to come back to the station and enter it in into their uh, uh, station computer, and either have hard copies in a book um, or or some other form, uh, and it, as part of these pre-plans is to remember, it's not just about, um, again, the the storage aspect or the product aspect, but also what kind of shifts are there? How many people are in the building? Um, what kind of, you know, what, uh, what are their tasks? What are their roles and where are their, uh, Safety areas. Where do they evacuate to? Um, and then the other is who's the the point of contacts. You know, even if you go there for a fire alarm, you know, you're gonna have a point of contact. But um, the last time you you know you want to find out that your your contact is incorrect is is whenever you have an incident happening in front of you. Uh, and then with the fire marshal is we talked about for the f- public fire investigator is to to take that breath, take that second to. Um, walk through in your head just briefly and quickly before you get out of your vehicle of this is what I'm going to start with and this is what I see in, in your initial observations. Um, many times they you may see you know exactly what's where the fire occurred or who you need to speak with um, once you get out of the vehicle. And if you're not you know paying attention, you might just walk right by it. Uh, Again, it's the, the totality from the time you get there to the end of the investigation where uh, everything can line up. And don't forget, you know, your, your private um, entities that can assist you and uh, also state and local uh, agencies, as I mentioned, uh, you know, your, your state, uh, whether it's a boiler commission or inspectors or even your federal fire investigators, uh, ATF, for example, that can... Uh, bring resources in to assist. It's there's nothing wrong with asking for for help, uh, no matter uh, what size of of the scene it is.
0: Well, are we missing or forgetting anything?
1: I don't think so. It's just, uh, no, it's 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 just again taking that again taking that breath and that time to understand. Yep, it's a huge scene. Yep, this is really big, but. Uh, you're going to work through it just like you've worked through any other fire investigation that you have. It's just going to have maybe a lot more arms and legs to it.
0: And more pages or more tape or whatever, more photos. That's right. Well, I appreciate your time. I, I will say um, we do have a sister network that I was going to mention later in the podcast that's been put on by FM Global, and it relates to your pre-planning. Um, it doesn't relate to, to fire investigation specifically, but uh, but it's at FM Global Fire Resource, uh, Fire Resources, I think it is. And I'll get that right later on. But their whole thing there is they're teaching about um, sprinkler buildings, fighting fire and sprinkler buildings. They're talking about pre-planning in these kind of often rural locations. And uh, now they're dealing with the robots. You know, what mm-hmm. are you going to need when you have to deal with a top-loading system uh, that is looks like a to me it looks like a giant rubik's cube <laughs> sitting in the middle of a facility. Uh one of the things that was interesting to me I thought you might mention it was but you're not dealing with it that case. They're saying, you know, the the fire department needs to know that they may have to have a backhoe <laughs> to uh to rip one of these open to get to right. the fire. So it's Right. Who would have thought, you know? know. But uh <laughs> It's true. Uh anything you wanted to say before we Say no, goodbye. I,
1: no, I appreciate the, the opportunity and um, I appreciate the, the forethought because you know, like you said, these these fires happen every day and it's usually only the big ones that get put in the news, but um, they're they're just as important regardless.
0: Well, thanks again, Andrew. I appreciate your time very much. Thank you. Have a good day. You too, sir. On this podcast, CFITrainer.net page, we have some additional warehouse fire resources for you to explore, so please check that out. CFI Trainer is approaching its 100th episode. To celebrate, we want to hear from you. Send us your experiences and examples of how CFITrainer.net has positively impacted your practice of fire investigation or otherwise working fire scenes. We'd love to hear any examples you have about how something you learned on CFITrainer.net helped you in an investigation or you can share with us how CFITrainer.net has aided you in your work in general. We may contact you for a quick chat that will appear on a future podcast episode. Please use the feedback form at CFITrainer.net slash podcast to tell us about your experiences. As promised, I said I would share a resource that you could share with your firefighting peers. Send them to FMGlobalFireServiceResources.com and they can learn about fighting fires in sprinklered buildings. There, they'll find a new module about fighting fires in warehouses that have top-loading storage systems using robots to retrieve goods. The link to this resource is on the podcast page. This podcast and CFITrainer.net are made possible by funding from a Fire Prevention and Safety Grant from the Assistance to Firefighters Grant Program administered by FEMA and the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. Support also comes from the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives and voluntary online donations from CFI trainer.net users and podcast listeners. Thanks for joining us today on the podcast. Stay safe. We'll see you next month. For the IWI and CFI trainer.net, I'm Rod Ammon.